Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey guys, Brian Davis from Spark Rental here. Super excited to be with you. And I'm also excited to have Kirby Atwell with us. He is the founder of livingoffrents.com. He is right up our alley, which we were just talking about before we hit the record button, you know, reaching financial independence with real estate, building passive income streams. So Kirby, welcome. Thank you. It's uh, it's awesome to be here, Brian. Thanks. Well, you know, I am personally excited to hear about your story and how you got into this um, because everyone's story is, is unique and different. And, you know, you're taking a little bit of a different tack than, than we are, uh, which is what makes this all fun. So let's start at the very beginning with how you got started with real estate in the first place. Yeah, it's been a long winding journey for me. Um, so I started off, I wanted to serve in the military. So I went to West Point Military Academy and got stationed at, in El Paso, Texas right afterwards. And uh, while I was down there, I picked up what I always call the gateway drug in the real estate investing, which is um, rich dad, poor dad, as many people have experienced that same calling afterwards. And so I, I read it and uh, changed my mindset and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I uh, bought a couple properties while I was stationed there and then went on to Hawaii, I bought a property there and um, really just kind of figured it out in the beginning, just like, you know, didn't buy great properties, but they were, they were decent. Um, and, uh, I knew though, that I wanted to get out and do it long-term. So, um, I got out of the military in 2011 and not having a W2 job anymore. Uh, I couldn't get financing. And so, right. uh, I decided, you know, flipping seems like a, a good option. And so I, I formed an LLC with a couple of friends and we started flipping properties. And so we ended up flipping about 70 houses around the Chicagoland area over the next wow. five years. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and, and so it, it was a good experience. I learned a lot, but I also learned that, um, there's sort of a progression that I see happen a lot with people who get into flipping. It's like they, they flip and realize they're on this hamster wheel of, um, constant hustle and not really making a whole lot of extra money. They, they plow it all back into their business or tax, you know, it's the highest tax rate, you know, and oh, sure. so regular income tax rate. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, realizing that I d- realized after five years, this was going to be a perpetual cycle forever. So I want to get back to the reason I got into this in the first place, which was creating financial independence. And so left that partnership and started uh, doing rental properties. And so initially it was long-term rentals until in 2017, at the end of 2017, we tried out a short-term rental in our basement. We were moving into a house and had an unfinished walkout basement. And so we're like, you know, let's just try this and see how it works. And we're in Indiana. So, you know, it's not like a hot vacation rental market, um, but it worked phenomenally well. And we made over $20,000 in the first summer. And I was like, man, I I make less than that on some houses that I own the whole year, Uh, (laughs) you know, in terms of of income. So quickly started to figure out how to scale that. Um, And so from there, we, uh, we, we bought 21 vacation rentals around this Northwest Indiana area. 
and it's just worked out great. So we sold off all the long-term rentals and this is purely what we focus on. Well, I love that. I mean, there, there's so much in there to unpack. I mean, so when you yeah. bought your first property, Airbnb probably wasn't even a thing yet, right? No, it was 2006. So yeah, so that's yeah. that's pre Airbnb. Um, that's really before. I mean, you know, obviously vacation rentals have been around forever in beach towns yep. and stuff, but not at the at the the scale and ease that they are now. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with a hundred percent on um. How flipping houses is it's a business, right? I mean, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. it. It can be a great business for a lot of people, but it's it's active income. It's it's certainly there's nothing passive about it, as as you well know. Um, I mean, finding deals constantly, hassling with contractors. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's a a ton of work, and a lot of people do that, like you did, as a way to build capital for other investments, and you know, including long term investments or long term hold investments like rental properties, whether you rent them short or long-term. Mm -hmm. So let's dive a little bit deeper into some of your tips and tricks and experiences with short-term rentals, since that seems to be an area of, of niche expertise for you. Yeah. So how do you go about finding these, these properties? So I, I have a very different approach, I think, than a lot of people who are in the short-term rental space these days. Um, I think as people get into it, their initial default is to go to these traditional vacation rental areas. Um, and so if you Google it, you know, recommend Gatlinburg or, you know, these coastal beach areas and those areas, I think they have a purpose, but at the same time, they've, the values have gone way up, super competitive, lots of competition, like the, uh, the guests are, are pickier, you know, it's higher end um, and also interest rates are higher. So, so it's a lot less affordable. My approach is in more utilitarian markets. So throughout the Midwest, Southeast, just outside of larger cities in, in areas where there's all kinds of reasons people are traveling there for, whether it's work or visiting family or weddings, or in some still vacation or local draws, and they work phenomenally well. So you can buy a property really inexpensively, you know, maybe it's a third or a fourth of what it would cost in the city, just outside the city. Nightly rates are very similar to what they'd be in the city in a lot of cases. And the ROI and cash flow is just phenomenal. So, so I really focus on these small multifamily properties that can perform really well being used as short-term rentals in these you know, low, lower cost markets. Okay. Yeah, no. So that makes sense. So I, well, so first of all, it sounds like you're investing mostly in, in secondary and tertiary markets uh, or even more specifically outside of those secondary and tertiary markets. Yeah. So, um, you know, another level removed, uh, you know, for less competition. And like you said, better cash flow. How do you pick these markets? I mean, how, how do you identify these markets in the first place? Yeah. So, I mean, you can start with, like I said, the Midwest and Southeast, that's where properties are just on sale compared to, you know, the West Coast or East Coast, you know, it just tends to be a lot cheaper. And so you can go to any city, you know, you look down the map and, and you know, throughout uh, all the Midwestern or Southeast states, you look at any um, city in Ohio, uh, Indiana, Michigan, you know, Tennessee, and anywhere that that has uh, some local draws around the city that's still within drivable distance. The larger the city, the further out you can be. But for example, we're in Michigan City, Indiana, which is an hour outside of Chicago. Um, and for the same property that we would buy in Chicago, we can get it for a fifth of the cost 
Um, and we can, there's a, a whole bunch of small multifamily properties here. And so all summer long, we are hundred percent booked up because people want to come to, like I said, local draws, there's, there's Lake Michigan. There's also a casino, there's an outlet mall, there's wineries or stuff like that, that it's not the Disney worlds, but it's still draws for people to come. And then all winter, we can still book out with um, people who are traveling for work, nurses, um, you know, all the weddings and funerals and stuff like that, that are just normal reasons people travel. So I look for these areas that are driving distance to the city with local draws that, you know, are in relatively rental friendly states typically is, is what I try to target. And there's a lot more of them than, than most people think there are. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I, I couldn't agree with you more about investing in rental friendly states and cities. Um, yeah. You know, the, the friendly, the investor friendliness of the local laws, you know, whether at the state level or on the city level, uh, makes a bigger difference than the average person thinks, especially the average person who's either a novice investor or not an investor at all. Right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the seasonality with some of your properties and, and how you navigate that? Because, you know, you, you talked about people visiting for quote, like normal reasons, like weddings and funerals and, and so forth. But that's, that can be hard to build your business around. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious about how, how you account for seasonality uh, as a, as a short-term vacation rental investor. Yeah. I think getting into this, the, the hardest part for people is to wrap their head around, you know, they, they think short-term rental, like I'm going to buy in vacation spots I would want to go to. And like you mentioned, Airbnb didn't exist, you know, I mean, it's, it didn't exist more pretty much 10 years ago, you know, five years ago is when it really started to pick up. But before that, it was just vacation rental areas where you'd have short-term rentals. Now there's such a huge user base of on with millions and millions of people using Airbnb and VRBO and others that that's just the way they travel. So, so they're not going to stay in hotels. They're going to, they want a house because they have families and they'd rather have a whole house um, in a lot of cases. So regardless of where you're at, there's, there's people using it and there's, there's reasons why people are traveling, you know, which are just general reasons in a lot of cases. So, so you can start to um, look at other Airbnbs and see, you know, how often they're booked up, what their price point is, all of that. And so you can start to get a, a really good idea of what you can expect. But when we first started, I was like, this seems like the numbers are really good. I could see what they were renting for on Airbnb. I could see that I could buy a duplex or a triplex for a couple hundred thousand dollars and rent out each one and have three streams of income. And I thought, man, if I just rent it in the summer, I still make more money than using it as a long-term rental. So let's give it a shot. And what I didn't realize is the entire summer would be booked solid because there's 2 million people that come to the, uh, the Indiana Dunes National Park every year. And there's nowhere near enough lodging for that many people. Um, and then in the winter, I thought it might just sit vacant all winter, but it's every single weekend is booked on all of our properties because oh. of all these other re like weekend getaways or people, you know, workers booking for longer period of time. It's a lower price point, sure. but overall we're at like 70% occupancy. Um, so you can really tell by looking at other comps. I don't like to be the trailblazer, like go out in the middle of nowhere and like be the first one, right. but you can start to see like if there's a, a decent number of comps around there and 
you can, and the bar is set really low too on the competition because a lot of people roll out of bed and they're like, I want to list my house on Airbnb today and take a couple of pictures with their iPhone with their cat in the picture and, you know, an unmade bed. And that's, that's the competition, especially in the, the um, smaller areas, you know, the non-vacation rental areas. So you can just dominate these markets if you are intentional about the way you're doing it. Well, I love that. Um, and that's, that's a fantastic point about when you invest in, in smaller communities, smaller cities, uh, not only is there less competition, but the quality of the competition can be much lower. Uh, so it can help you stand out more easily uh, mm -hmm. from those competitors. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about how you find you, the markets where you invest. What about individual properties? So you invest in small multifamily properties. Do you just work with local realtors and find properties on the MLS? Do you find your properties off market? You know, how do you go about finding these deals? Yeah, great question. Um, we've kind of come up with a system that's really helped us. I mean, we, this is how we bought probably the last eight or nine properties. Um, and it's a, a bit counterintuitive. So what most people do is, is they figure out, you know, a place where they want to invest and they ask for referrals for a, a buyer's agent and they find an agent and say, Hey, can you set up a search for me? And then they go do everything through this buyer's agent. I recommend skipping that. You know, I, we spend a lot of time identifying what the ideal market is that you want to invest in. And then we set up a search ourselves on realtor.com or Zillow or whatever. And I go directly to the listing agent. And as soon as a property pops up, I call a listing agent and say, Hey, you know, we, I own a couple others in the area. I'm really interested in this property. It meets my buy profile. By the way, I don't have a buyer's agent. I'd love for you to represent me as a buyer and the seller. So you'll make double the commission on this deal. Um, and you know, can I take a look at it? And it is incredible. The amount of information that you get, like they're not going to do anything unethical, Sure, but they're, they're the source of the information. They know the property inside and out. They know why the seller is selling. They know, you know, so, so they're going to work together to co-author a offer that works for all parties, you know, instead of just submitting a blind offer through a list, a buyer's agent who knows nothing about the property, nothing about the seller, anything, why they're selling. You're just guessing that this offer might work. Instead, you can have a conversation and find out so much information about the situation and about the property and then put in the offer and all things being equal, they're going to be extremely motivated to try to make your, your offer work because they're getting twice the commission on it. So, um, so it's a fantastic way to do it. It, you know, some people ask, well, is that legal in every state? It's not everywhere, but even if it's not legal in a certain state or somebody doesn't want to represent both, typically they'll refer you to somebody in their, their office. And right. so they're still very motivated to try to, make it that your offer work above just some random other offer. That makes total sense. Um, I love that. And, you know, when, when the listing agent is motivated to work with you, um, you know, often they will communicate to you, you know, what makes the seller tick, right? Because mm -hmm. some sellers are motivated by money, you know, they want the, the most money possible. Others are motivated by speed or by some other factor, you know, maybe they, uh, are, need to move, but they don't know exactly when they'll need to move. So they need some flexibility and maybe they need exactly. you to lease the property back to them for a month or two or whatever. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that you just wouldn't know, uh, you know, if you're just sending out blind offers, like you said. Yeah. Um, you can customize it to help them get to the goal that they want, you know, whatever that is. And if you don't know, you're just kind of guessing. So. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. 
So, you know, one question that I always love to ask people is the the low point in your story arc, because we all have one as as real estate yeah. investors, right? You know, that, that moment when all hope seemed lost. <laughs> um, <laughs> but those are often, you know, the moments where we learn the most about real estate investing uh, or maybe about ourselves <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or about money and investing in general. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, some of the low points in your arc, some of the mistakes you've made, you know, the, those expensive lessons that uh, that in hindsight, we're, we're valuable to learn, but we're painful yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, I mean, when I think back to, um, to, to my time rehabbing and flipping properties, uh, man, there, there's a lot I can, <laughs> I can point to. Most of them were revolved around contractors and contractor oh, yeah. issues, um, and not being on the same page and, you know, um, so I can share with you, you know, the low points, and then I can also share with you what kind of was a turning point for me that Please. got um, that kind of changed everything for me in terms of um, you know the success that I've had since then. So, so really, yeah, it was. I think it was the the low points were working so hard on flips, and you, you know, you project these numbers on a spreadsheet, and they never work out that way. Um, you know, every Never. now and then you'll, you'll have one that, that goes as planned or you sell it for higher than, than you plan, but the majority of them take longer, cost more, and then you try to scale that. And there's a reason why you don't see like national flipping companies that are at scale, because it's a really hard thing to scale. And as you scale, the margins get even worse and you have right. more issues with people. So we went from doing one property at a time to doing multiple flips, obviously. And then we went into higher end properties because we kept looking at the spreadsheet going, well, the way to get, you know, wealthy is to just add more properties and do higher end properties. And I was under stress constantly. You know, my, my door was just like this revolving problem, uh, you know, wheel that people would come in with all the problems and all the things that I enjoyed doing in the beginning, going out to properties and, and actually talking to contractors, all that went away. And I was just managing all the problems and we we're trying to scale this team and had a call center and we were sending out tons of marketing. So we had all this overhead. And and so eventually that's when I kind of, it clicked for me that this is just, I'm just going to grow these problems bigger and bigger over time. This isn't, uh, it's never going to get me to the outcome that I want. So the thing that I think changed or that was the catapult to eventual success was in 2016, when all of a sudden I, I we just recently got married, I, I got married to my wife, and we sat down and got clear on what our vision of success is and what we wanted our days to look like and and the outcome that we were after. Instead of just chasing money or chasing, you know, other people's version of success, we got very clear on what it meant to us. And once we defined that, then all of a sudden we had a place to backwards plan from, and in really it was just freedom. That was our version of success. We wanted autonomy and then we wanted to be able to make an impact in other people's lives. And so it didn't take a whole lot, but we never defined it. And so finally, when we defined it, I could backwards plan from that and put together, you know, and and start to make more intentional decisions. And that's what changed everything. And so many people don't do that. They just start, you know, jumping into it and saying, I want to just make money and be successful, but they never define what that means for them. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and that's that ties in very closely with what we preach a lot here at Spark Run, all about lifestyle design. 
you know, which is really just a nerdy way of, of saying, you know, get really intentional about what your perfect life looks like, right? And then you can reverse engineer that. And like you said, usually it's actually not that hard to reach. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we've interviewed dozens of people who have reached financial independence and retired early with real estate and they all went back to work, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what, what some, some people take the wrong message away from that and they say, oh, well, you know, what's the point of, of you know, saving money and investing to try to reach financial independence if you're just going to go back to work. The point is so that you can take control over that work and do work that you are passionate about. Exactly. And if you're going to go back to work anyway, and you know that, then you can calculate, okay, what am I going to earn uh, doing my dream work, you know, which might be less than what your current high octane job is, right? Uh, but there's probably just a, a short uh, or a small shortfall, if any, between what your dream work pays and your living expenses. So you don't need enough passive income to cover all of your living expenses. You just need enough to cover that shortfall, if there even is one. And if there's not, yeah. then, you know, what are you doing? Just go go, go do your dream work now. Yeah, so anyway, a exactly. uh, little bit of a tangent there about lifestyle design, but it's a, it's a passion of mine, obviously. So I want to talk a little bit about your business. But before we get there, I just want to get any... Uh, tips or hacks or tricks uh, for people who are interested in Airbnb investing, short-term rental investing, uh, or maybe people who are doing it now, but are struggling a little bit with it. Like, what are some of your favorite hacks, for lack of a better word, uh, in that space? Yeah, there's. so I think there's two main ones that I, I can mention here that I think would, would be helpful. So for number one, the, the, the tough thing, I think, for real estate investors who are transitioning from traditional real estate investing to short-term rentals, this was tough for me, is no longer thinking of real estate as a commodity like you did before. So in the past, you know, I owned a lot of long-term rentals. We got up to 24 long-term rentals. And I knew that, you know, a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom rents for what another two-bedroom or three-bedroom rents for in that town. And so you put in a whole bunch of extra stuff to make, you know, extra nice, it's not going to make you any extra money. So it was really kind of pointless. So um, so it's it's really a commodity. And so that was the mindset that I had going into short-term rentals. And it was really my wife who wasn't really involved with long-term rentals, who she started getting involved with short-term rentals. And she had to bring me around to the fact that you actually are outsized, you, you make outsized returns based on the experience you're you're creating for your guests. So um, there's so much more that goes into short-term rentals in terms of creating that experience and being intentional about that. And sometimes it pays to buy like a, a, an extra expensive chair that hangs from the ceiling or something like that, or <laughs> do like a, a crazy mural on the wall or something like that. Something, you know, that's unique that, you know, it's not in the budget for a long-term rental. It doesn't make any sense, but for a short-term rental that might, you know, a picture of that might get a lot more bookings and it leads to thousands of dollars more per year in income just because of that one feature. Um, and more and those reviews are just, if it's memorable. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. everyone's gonna be talking about yep. it in the reviews. Yeah, it sets it apart, and yeah. So keep that in mind as you're transitioning from long term to short term, if that's the case. Um, and then the other thing is, I, I push this so hard with people I work with, but if you can get multiple streams of income out of an individual property, the cash flow when they're being used as a short term rental is just it's insane. Like the, the ROI, it's 
Um, a lot of people like don't believe the numbers, uh, <laughs> you know, that it's possible to get that type of cash flow. But for example, our, our latest deal, we've, we've got a triplex that we bought for 105,000. Um, and it's, a it, it was disgusting when we got, I mean, it was, but, but it's in a prime location. It had three tenants in each unit that were just, it, it was in really rough shape. Um, so we bought it. We got rehabbed it. So we, we had a, a total of just over $300,000 into it. Um, and that property is netting about $6,000 per month now um, wow. in cash flow after all our expenses and everything. So that would never happen with the single family home, but because we have three separate units. And then in the summertime, when it's busy, there's lots of families that want to travel together, friend groups. And if you think about it, there's just nowhere near enough 16 houses that sleep 16 people or 18 people. But if you've got a triplex, you can list all three units together and people love that. Um, And so we'll book out the, we call it the super listing all summer long at a premium. Um, And then in the winter, when it's small groups traveling, we've got three separate units that are bringing in three separate streams of income and it, it just produces phenomenal income. Um, So you can do that and you can do it in a, relatively affordable area. And if you were compare that ROI to the million dollar beachfront single family house, it's just um, the return on dollars invested. It's just not even comparable. That's fantastic. That is a great tip. And I didn't even know that you could put a, a super listing on Airbnb. Yeah. Um, I'm not an Airbnb investor, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, but no, that, that's, yeah, not that's a lot great. of people do realize that. Yeah. Yeah, no, those, those are two great tips. So thank you. Uh, yep. Well, so Kirby, tell us about your work at livingoffrentals.com. What, what, are you, what are you guys doing over there? Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned, our goal was to get to financial freedom so that we could um, create a bigger impact in other people's lives. And I, I didn't know what that was going to look like. I've run the Living Off Rentals podcast for several years and people were saying, that's great information, but can you kind of walk me through the process, you know, step-by-step to, to do what you guys are doing or what you've done. And um, so after I left my full-time job, I created a, a program that walks people who are working full-time through the steps of finding, buying, and setting up their first high cash flowing short-term rental that kind of fits this utilitarian model. And it's been some of the most rewarding work I've done. I've worked with quite a few people now. Um, to do that. And so living off rentals is our platform. It's the the name of the podcast. Um, we've got a great engaged Facebook group as well. And then we've got this program also, that's the first vacation rental investment blueprint where we work, you know, individually with people, um, and, and walk them through this process to get them, uh, you know, in the game. And, and it, you know, some of them now are on their 12th deal and it's, you know, the feedback we get is that it's changed our lives and it's, it's allowed us to do things we never thought possible. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, when people are making an investment of tens of thousands of dollars or, or more uh, of, you know, of their own money, um, they do need some handholding often, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, they, they want that extra sense of security with it. Uh, so it makes sense to offer, you know, a mentorship program or, you know, to, to work with people through that first deal, get them over that hump, uh, because it is so intimidating for the average yeah. person. Um, yeah. And that's where all the lessons are learned on that first one, you know, so then yeah. you can stamp it out after that to get to financial freedom. So any, any final tips or, or words of advice before we wrap up? Um, 
I would offer maybe I'll offer a book that I that I love. Um, do you know who Greg McCune is? Are you uh, have you read um, Essentialism or Effortless? Uh, I have I have not read Essentialism, although I've heard very good things about it. Yeah. So uh, two of my favorite books, um, Greg McCune's the author. He wrote Essentialism first, and I've read it at least once a year since that came out, you know, probably 10 years ago now. Um, and then he wrote Effortless a couple years ago, about two years ago now. Um, and that's sort of a follow on to the, the initial book, but uh, life changing in terms of uh, the, the whole premise of essentialism is less but better. And I think that gets lost on a lot of real estate investors. It was on me personally, for sure, in the first uh, many years of of investing. And so a lot of people will say, well, I want to get to a hundred doors. Um, you know, that's my goal is a hundred doors. And I ask them why. And it's like, well, cause I can compare that to Joe down the street and he only has 50. So I must be, you know, more successful than that guy. And, right. and it's like, I, I would rather have one door if it pays more than the hundred that Joe has down the street, you know? So, so less, but better has been, my motto that what I've tried to replicate after reading this book and try to keep in mind every time I do something new um, and it's just paid dividends for me. Um, so I uh, highly recommend those two books to listeners. Oh, that's perfect. That's the perfect way to close out the episode. Kirby, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a fun conversation for me and I'm sure for, for everyone listening. Yeah, it's been awesome being here. Thanks a lot. All right, guys, we will catch you next Tuesday. Have a great week and stay in touch with us. Support at sparkrental.com. You know, rate, review, all that good stuff. And we will catch you next week. Bye now. Did you know we offer a free eight-video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the flip side.